My name is Emmett Avery. I'm a reporter with the Community News Service. And we're here today with Lane Marshall. I am Lane Marshall. I uh, have been retired from the state police for 25 years now. Lane Marshall joined the state police in 1967, following in his father's footsteps. During a 40-year career, Lane worked in Newport, Lunenburg, Brattleboro, and a host of Vermont towns, eventually becoming the director in the early 1990s. But it was an event that happened in the first six months that defined the state police of the 60s and 70s. Uh, the hours are long. It was shift work, again, two, two weeks on, two weeks off, night, two weeks of day shifts, two weeks of night shifts. So the shift changes were horrible on your, on your life. And I knew that going in. But uh, what I also knew was that if you, if you went to work for the state police and if you did a good job and kept your nose clean and worked hard, you were pretty certain of a decent retirement and a decent, you know, a decent job security for the rest of your life. And, and that drew me as much as anything else, I think. It was a hot summer night in July. By the time the pivotal call came in, Lane had already picked up some kids who mixed alcohol and late night swimming, resulting in one falling off a cliff and Lane taking her to the hospital and the others to the police station. About to call it a night, a call came in from the village of Irisburg. And so I went to Irisburg and that's that started that night for me. I drove in. The, the place was pretty obvious when I when I got there. I, you come around the corner and this big Victorian style house is on the left hand. Actually, there's two of them. It's, but this is the one closer to the village. And there was a bunch of people out in the yard, which obviously was, you know, something was going on and I pulled in. I guess it, it kind of struck me at the time that, you know, the family was black and which was unusual in, in Irisburg, it just wasn't. But, but I didn't, you know, I didn't notice anything out of the ordinary right there, except they were, yeah, they were all, you know, they were, well, they, they said they'd been shot at with a shotgun and, and I could see uh, a couple of panes of glass broken from, you know, from, the, and, uh, explained to me that this car had gone north, uh, shot two or three times at the house, I think he said, and then came back and shot two or three more times on the way back through. So I started checking houses and roads and, and side streets. But nevertheless, uh, I checked all those places. I checked uh, who, who Dick Boyden was a trooper stationed at an outpost down in Hardwick because I thought that they, if the car had gone all the way south on 14, he might have some, you know, some input into it. Um, everywhere I could think of locally and nothing. And so I went back to the Johnsons to report and I, you know, I found nothing or nothing out of the ordinary. Lane knew it was going to be trouble, but nobody at the time knew it would lead to charges of racism against the state police the state police withdrawing from public view, and the eventual suicide of a trooper. My name is Sarah Blow, and today I'm sitting down with author Gary Shattuck to discuss his new book. To make a connection between the events of Irisburg and its profound effect on the state police, 
um, that I never really understood, which forced it to pull itself inward. And it, it, it experienced a kind of uh, institutional post-traumatic stress syndrome as a result of the trauma of Irisburg. They pulled within themselves, became uncommunicative with the legislature, which caused problems in funding and budgeting, uh, great problems with the, with the state's governors. To see that happen and then see the percolating problems within St. Johnsbury that they couldn't deal with because of the internal problems, existing problems within the department. It was an amazing um, chronology to connect all of these things together. More on that later, but for now, back to Lane. And, uh, my wife was, was awake or I woke her up when I came in because, because it was it was after 2.30 in the morning. It was more like 3.30 or 4 o'clock. So I explained to her what had happened and, and uh, that I felt that this was going to be a headache, you know, a real problem. Got my butt chewed the next day by Bill Green, who was the station commander at Derby at the time, who, who chewed me royally for not waking him up in the middle of the night. But in a matter of two or three hours, this thing was had blown up and that was the way it started. And it did become a very big deal. The Attorney General's office had never been involved in, in any investigation that I was ever aware of, and yet they were breathing down our necks. I felt they were breathing down our necks on this case, or, or at least they were. we were under a magnifying glass. That's what it felt like to me, is that we were, we were working our butts off uh, to, you know, to satisfy somebody else. That's what it, that's what it seemed like to me, that it, there was, it had become, the governor's office had become, and the attorney general's office had become, and, and the media had become all, all incomes, all, all completely interested in what we were doing in little old Northeast Kingdom, Vermont. I mean, that's what it seemed like as, as a trooper. And as the investigation got underway, one of the troopers said that he saw the black married minister having sex with a white woman. The state police then opened an adultery investigation, a rare occurrence in Vermont. And if there was a mistake made in the whole situation, it was the adultery charge. Uh, I, you know, to this day, even, even after my time as, as a state police director, that was a horrible decision to, you know, to bring that charge. That, and and that has to do, you know, and, and that that I think is what started the racism thing, is it, or, or what really set the racism thing off was was that uh, adultery charge. There was an external investigation and a special commission which found the state police guilty of racism. A few years later, another scandal racked the police force when officers were accused of stealing manufacturing parts and one of the men implicated committing suicide at the Vermont legislature. And adultery wasn't, wasn't really a huge issue, certainly not a huge issue nationally, uh, even regionally. But in little old Orleans County, the population of Orleans County was very religious and, and I think that had as much to do with the, with the adultery charge as anything to do with race. Does Lane think they were racist? I never had the feeling at the time that it was a racial issue. I, I, I think that was a stupid charge. You know, we grew up in a time when, when 
there were black jokes and Jewish jokes and blonde jokes and you know and 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 we including me probably told my share of, of jokes that wouldn't be considered in good taste today uh, but but to the degree that you know that it, it that it was a bias against somebody I, I just I never saw it I, or if I did I was so damn naive that I didn't Author Gary Shattuck also does not believe the racism charges. I, I reviewed literally thousands of pages at the State Archives. They have the records of the Irisburg Board of Inquiry, the 700 and something pages of transcripts, the 187 documents, the exhibits, and then also there was the Kieser Commission, of which there were thousands of pages of documents, which was dealing with the uh, officer's death in 1979. To answer your question, do I think the police handled the investigation perhaps fairly or correctly? Absolutely, they did what they had to do. But unfortunately, there were interjections of racism, which the records simply do not substantiate in my review of literally the thousands of the records over the last of the course few year, last few years. My opinion is we could be faulted for poor judgment. At, at that time. I still don't believe that, you know, I, I think the area of the country, uh, the fact that it's, you know, it's rural, very rural, very poor, uh, very plain. You know what was great about there is I worked up there for, I think, three years in total. And I had one jury trial in three years because because they were the type of people, they, they, they were poor, they worked hard, they played hard, but when you caught them doing something wrong, they came in and said, yep, it's me, Judge. I'm, and and the, guy you, the guy you were wrestling in the mud and the blood and the beer with on Saturday night would apologize to you Monday morning in court and say what a, you know, what a fool he was for, for doing. That's the kind of people they were. And I think, you know, I think that, you know, I, I, I think it's just the, I, maybe it's, I used the word naive earlier, maybe it's the county that's still, still somewhat naive about the rest of the world because we always had the ability to sit back in Vermont and, and you know, it was almost like after that, we could see what was happening in the rest of the country long before it ever happened here. This podcast is produced as part of Mud Season at the Center for Research on Vermont. Our thanks to Lane Marshall and Gary Shattuck. For more on the Irisburg Affair and Gary Shattuck's deep research into the subject, please see his book, Knight Rider Legacy, Weaponizing Race in the Irisburg Affair of 1968, available from the center or your local bookstore. See vermontresearchbooks.org for more information.